to the Paddlemore podcast. Uh, this week, it's just me and Grant, you lucky devils. Because we did the first episode with just us, and then completely by chance, we then did the fifth episode with just us, we thought, hey, that's a trend we can stick with. So now this 10th episode is going to be just us, and you've got the same to look forward to every five episodes. So if you really don't like our voices, make sure you skip those ones and just go for all the others. Also means that if you've got any questions for us, you can, uh, you can drop us a message and, and we can address that thing as well. Um, if folks have specific questions that will also be Denise approved because many people might have questions for us that are non-Denise approved um, so we well, nothing we anatomical them. yeah we, we might answer those questions but not on the podcast uh, this week because we have only just caught on to this trend and haven't had any questions um, we are going to go through basically how Paddlemore came about and why we why we started it we're probably going to go more in depth than just we were sitting in a van one evening trying to think up a name and then one of us shouted some words and then somehow they were cottoned into some sort of company name um, Grant's going to start by telling us about why we started a company in the first place and why we thought it was a good idea yeah so we, we touched briefly on this and on, on episode one, um, but we then got sidetracked well and truly. So um, it all stems from an idea that I had had a long time ago to write a guidebook around the Loch Lomond Trossets National Park. And kind of that guidebook was to be about paddle sports and kind of sharing paddle sports um, with everyone, regardless of the craft that they were in, because I sort of felt that with a lot of guidebooks that are out there, um, you know, they're, they're really, a, paddle, a lot of paddle sport guidebooks that are out there, they're really specific to a certain thing, you know. So for a touring guidebook, it's all about chilled out, easy, simple water to paddle on. If it's a white water guidebook, it's really gnarly. If it's a ski one, it's obviously about the salty bits. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of create something that was geographically led rather than um, rather disciplined. Um, and so I approached Moose because I'm an idiot and I'm, I'm not, the, not the one for good grammatical English. Um, so I brought Moose on board quite early on in that. that I'm pleased you clarified that because you actually opened with, I brought Moose on because I'm an idiot. And I thought that was just going to leave it there. And just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot and no regret why all my decisions no not at all um, yeah because of the, the the you know I'm not the most academic person in the world and kind of writing a book when you're not an academic person is is challenging whereas Moose is very much an academic person with you know, those sort of skills so it was one of those kind of shared things that you know we could we could write it together and then from there it sort of developed didn't it into it would be good to have a name and a brand to bring out this guidebook under rather than just being a guidebook by Moose and Grant. Yeah, we uh, we definitely wanted to make it more than just a book and kind of have a bit of a community feel around it and also have something so that once the book was out, we could get a bit of, I guess, feedback and people's stories from the book and kind of have something that people could gather around. So if, say if you follow one of the routes out of the book, you could then put some photos online and then just hashtag it or send them to us or whatever um, and we kind of just wanted to see what sort of reach we had and, and whether actually we um, it, whether people were using the book and whether people were enjoying the routes that we'd suggested um, and from there it kind of grew on some legs we originally like we said it was just meant to be this kind of brand that surrounded the book and we didn't really have any other larger plans with it um, and then as it as it went on and as Covid kind of hit, and we both had a lot more time on our hands. And um, I guess as the book process took longer than we'd ever envisaged, because we'd never written a book before, we started doing other things with it. So we started sharing kind of people's stories. We started sharing um, interviews with with kind of top paddlers, um, and we we started telling our stories, and we started doing all sorts of stuff, um, as well as just kind of tagging pictures. And <clears throat> obviously, now we've started the videos and the, the podcast and everything. Um, but it kind of all seems to fall back into this thing of, we just want to promote paddling. Yeah, totally. And it's that thing of, I think, I think our sort of strap line came before the name, didn't it? In terms of, you know, getting more people doing more paddling more often. Um, and, and that sort of, I think for both of us, it's a really core message that we, that we have 
necessarily you know, call it a philosophy or an ethos, but you know, um, uh, but, you know, just to just to get people out voting, uh, you know, we've spent you know a long time working as coaches and as guides, and that's kind of oh my God, when you drink, your your hat stays in place. Oh, your head that goes back. It's very two D. Um, yeah, for for those that only listen to this as a podcast, they'll get well confused by that. But if you go and become a Patreon, you'll be able to see this with a pirate hat on right now, which is. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, yeah, so that 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 sort of philosophy of more people, more paddling, more often, kind of lies pretty pretty strongly with us, and and that that development of sharing some stories to encourage people to to go paddling, um, and you know the the idea behind the the videos of giving people the, the basic skills, I guess, to get them started safely, you know, without having to without having to spend loads of money or you know for those that are coming back into the sport after a couple of years out you know they've got some some knowledge but they just need to refresh so it's kind of a cool way to to help you know as we said build a community and encourage encourage more talent yeah <clears throat> I, I think that's really I, I think to be honest most of that builds from the fact that we I don't know we don't really have a we don't really have a preference with what we do on the water do we it's kind of a case of whatever's going we we tend to fall into a lot of white water or canoeing um but i think that's more about what's what's local and what's around us at the time um but we've both done a fair amount of sea kayaking touring white water canoeing supping everything really um both done some rafting both done yeah basically if you can take to the water on it we've we're quite happy to go and do it um and it's definitely an industry or a collection of sports where there's not a lot of cohesion sometimes and it's you almost have these pockets like you do with the guidebooks you have this kind of this is the touring guidebook this is the white water guidebook this is the sea kayaking guidebook we almost end up in that kind of i am a white water kayaker i am a this i am this i am i only do this and i only interact with other people that do this and it's a bit of a shame actually that there's not that cross i guess cross contamination between disciplines because it certainly opens your eyes and makes you a, makes you a more rounded paddler. Yeah, it really does. It, it does make you a better boater, doesn't it? Because I think, you know, if I if I reflect on my journey to where I am today, like I I see myself as a kayaker when I started out. I got started out in pointy boats and sea boats because that's what really was available to me at the time. And then went into white work paddling because kayaking was full of old people um, in my mind it was full of old people because that's who who was part of my club at the time. Oh, part, of the, part, of, <laughs> yeah, part, part of the club that i was involved in um so so i got into white water paddling and then you know canoes were these big horrible things that i didn't you know when i started paddling i hated the, the concept of canoeing and sure didn't see the point in it and i, I still have those days Oh yeah, totally. But I just have those days about white water paddling. <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 and you know, I guess we were, we, you know, we, we worked professionally in the industry, and and at the time we were we were pretty much forced into canoes, I guess, um, because that's where the qualification structures were at the time. If you wanted to be, you know, paddle sports coach, you had to you had to spend some time in the canoe, um, and then. You know, we did some training and worked on centres and stuff. And and for me, I then got a cool opportunity to go and work in the south of France. And that was in a canoe all the time. Um, and that really sort of opened my eyes massively to what was available in the canoe, because that was working not on a pond or on some boring flat water. That was taking people, that was guiding people down a river, you know, grade two, maybe grade three. Yeah, probably grade three in places on on the river, and actually that was really cool and really opened my eyes to using the canoe as a journeying uh, vessel. You know, so we could we could go on the, the harder white water in it, and we could also you know load it up overnight and take loads of loads of kit. That just you can, of course, you can do that in a white water kayak. You can definitely do it in a sea kayak, but you can't have the same level of luxury in a white water kayak as you can in a canoe. Um, so, so that opened my eyes to that, um, that concept of actually, hey, 
paddling is about all of it and my canoeing after spending you know six months in, in the south france in a canoe um when i went to the alps every weekend to go kayaking i was like hey my kayaking is getting better because i now understand the water better from being in the canoe because i can't paddle this canoe thing the same as i can paddle my kayak i can't crash through that big hole because i'm going to get really wet and then i swim so i learned to read the water in a different way and to use the water more than more than just paddling downstream all the time which you do in the kayak obviously um you know, uh, so it made my kayak better um made my canoe better because i was like, still jumping in out of kayak um and yeah it just it made me shift my mindset from being on a kayak to i'm a paddler and i'll jump in you know i'll jump across these different crafts as and when is appropriate i i, I I think that's kind of, I don't know, I came, I came through kind of a similar, I guess a similar pathway to you. I came through college where you do some canoeing, you do some kayaking, but where we were and the amount of us that were in canoes at the time, I just, I, I was a bit like you, I just kind of saw them as this big 16 foot mess of a boat. And it, it's things like we were playing around behind bridge stanchions in eddies and actually whereas in kayaks, you could just all fit in this little eddy and it wasn't in the way in canoes. You know, we've got eight people in these solo boats and just bashing into people and moving, learning with that many people i just i found it really off-putting and really difficult um i started started paddling a bit more and kind of started kayaking a bit of white water and thought yeah this is this is quite cool this is i think it, in terms of looking cool as a as a late teenager white water is is pretty hard not to look at from a point of view of that looks really cool i'll look really cool when i do that anyone that's ever paddled white water with me I don't think there's a single point on a river or anywhere that I have looked Absolutely like cool. what I think I do. When you had your multicolored tag, yeah, you know, that was that was a you beautiful bit up of kit. until you got on the water, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> great in the car park. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you think that you're really cool, and you think you're one of these like big gnarly white water boaters and you're going to be this and, and some people totally are some people are going to be the next next best thing they're going to be this this really cool paddler um i certainly wasn't one of those people and i spent a lot of time falling out a lot of time standing at the side of the rivers wondering why i was far worse than i thought i should be i think that's been largely because i was comparing myself to youtube videos and people that have been paddling for much longer than i had and then i did bits of sea kayaking took a sea kayaking job in norway did bits of canoeing did some expedition and it was just like God, there's so much more to paddling than, than just throwing yourselves down rivers. And like, don't get me wrong, throwing yourselves down rivers can be the best way to spend your day. But so can exploring those kind of intertidal regions like we were chatting to Brie about, like finding all those really cool little things and going on these long journeys to see these places. And so can going on these expeditions in a canoe and, and doing all this like overland travel. So you've got your upstream, your downstream, you, you can sail the things. And then again, SUPS kind of came into, I kind of came into SUPS a bit later and I was like, oh, I don't know, first time I got on one, I mean, my balance, I struggle to stand up in my living room. Um, and that's not even just because I drink like I did when I was in my early 20s. It's just because I just, I don't have a bit of balance at all. So I got on a SUP and I think the first time I got on was at Pinkston and it took me a long time just to paddle across the basin. And it was more... I mean, it was a bit alien because it was just this weird, like inflatable thing. But it, at the end of the day, that was all right. It was more just finding my balance and not falling in. And as I did more of that, I was like, actually, this is really cool. This is this is another totally different avenue of paddling that, that can just be taken to some some wicked places. And, and it's just another way to get on the water. Um, the only thing I, I do wonder sometimes whether. And this kind of goes back on what we said, you've got that jack of all trades master of none and i totally agree that as a as a rounded paddler you become a much better paddler i wonder whether spending more time in individual crafts stops you from well more time in, in a range of crafts can stop you from being particularly adept in a single craft um i don't know i think you know, if I think of folks that are really, you know, uh, you know, those, those big, big, you know, sort of big names in paddle sports and, you know, 
they they definitely are all pretty specialist in what they do, and they you know Bren Artin is obviously a pretty big name at the moment within within the white water kayaking world, and Bren you never see Bren in anything that isn't isn't a kayak, um, and it's generally always a white water kayak. And he obviously does a lot of playboating, but that's still a whitewater kayak. It's just you know, a subsection of that sport. And um, you know, I, I don't even know if Bren, Bren Orton's ever been in a canoe. No idea. Um, Bren, get in but, touch. Yeah, let us know. But it, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, even, even in the canoe world, if we think of the folks that, you know, the big names in canoe, and for a lot of folks, it'd be difficult to come up with big names in canoes, but. But, you know, even you go back a few years to guys like Harry Rock and, you know, um, Bill Mason and guys like that, they were just out and out canoeists. You know, they didn't spend any time yeah. in kayaks. So, yeah, maybe maybe if I spend in time in, in other boats, stunts your, stunts your performance in, in one specific one. I'm not necessarily sure it does. I just, I wonder if it's more a case of without that dedication to one single thing, you'll never eat. If you're not 100% dedicated to one thing, you might not have the same drive to become the big name. But, you know, I wonder it's also that's... potentially the case that if you don't, you know, these people, the Bill Masons, the, the Bren Orns, that's what they love. <clears throat> Bren loves hurling themselves down, down big rivers. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think what we're saying here isn't you can't just go paddling. You can't just go whitewater kayaking. You can't just go sea kayaking. Like, if that's what you love and you don't love the other things, sweet keep doing what you're doing i guess that's where they they are at isn't it like yeah. if they love canoeing that much then they're gonna just keep canoeing yeah yeah i think that's it and i think i think that's totally true it's you know you can just love one sport and you know we're not saying don't love one discipline of paddle sports and that you have to diversify but i guess there's that thing of there's a lot to be gained or there could be for some people a lot to be gained from diversifying yeah. and, and calling yourself a paddler rather than a kayaker or a canoeist or you know whatever. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I wonder if I wonder if there's a lot of people forced into the mindset of I have to do only do one thing because of the likes of social media. You know, like you were saying, you, you think you're cool because you spend loads of time uh, you are you know in your late early to late teens, do you think you're really cool because you spend a lot of time in a whitewater kayak? Because... You can't look cool when you're underwater. I mean, you don't at all, do you? But <laughs> you know, Red Bull sponsor whitewater kayak and they don't sponsor canoeing. Therefore, they... You know, I think it's, same, that, same it's that word extreme, isn't it? There's no, there's no extreme category in sea kayaking. In the same way, I, I'm not belittling sea kayaking. Sea kayaking has scared me far more than than any white water boating yeah, ever yeah. has. Like I've certainly been in, yeah, more gnarly situations on open water and on the sea than than in white water. Yeah. But I don't think it has that same that same extreme appeal. No, I think I think you're right, and I think it's that because uh, yeah, sea kayaking can be super extreme, can't it? You know, there's some some of the things that happen in sea kayaking. It's mad. Like, yeah. I reckon if you were to put some of the best whitewater kayakers in the world into these environments, it's some some of the old boys. And um, um, using that term, you know, in, in the nicest way possible, in terms of the old boys that are in their sea kayaks going on epic trips yeah. and going, you know, mad, mad places um, compared to some of these whitewater kayakers. I reckon if you were to take, you know, some of the whitewater kayakers, you know, take, take Rafa and put them in a sea kayak in the middle of the Atlantic, I, I reckon that. As much as his technical paddling skill would be, you know, well on par, if not more than the, the guys. It's probably that psychological thing that makes it go well. This is really scary. And yeah, would be, would be a really interesting thing to. to do. It's the same thing we've been chatting about when you're paddling a river or when you're paddling something that's that's remote. You can't get much more remote than being miles and miles offshore. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have lost track of where we were. We were talking about um, how Paddlemore came into existence, and we've been totally oh. sidetracked by by that. So, yeah, so we 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 started calling ourselves paddlers, didn't we? Because of mm. all these things that we've just talked about, and yes. which led to the uh, the concept of a, a 
paddle sports day book rather than that, which yes. led to led to an ethos, philosophy, tagline, whatever you want to call it, which led to yeah, a very probably overtired van drive back when we were working, yeah. working, working late one night where we came up with it. I don't even remember how we ended up on the subject, but we were coming up with a name, weren't we? And we, we threw a whole pile of names around. It's because when you walk around for an evening doing first aid cover for an event that doesn't require first aid cover <laughs> to be that alert, you really have to fill the time with something. You <laughs> really do. Um, and, and yeah, we ended up on Paddle More because um, we'll go paddling. But that's what we want you to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There, there was it's a that bloody other, simple. Yeah, there, there, there was there was other names, but they were either taken or <laughs> led 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 you to some weird places on the internet. Um, and and yeah, that thing of more people, more paddling, more often. Hey, well, why don't we go paddle more? It all it all sort of ties into itself, doesn't it? Um, which led to the website, which led to the stories, which then led, led to the YouTube channel, which you know, led to this podcast, I guess. Uh, I think we always sort of had the concept of a podcast very from very early on. We just didn't know what we would ever say. Um, Arguably, we still don't. No, I think that's evident from this episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But uh, I think it's it's just about trying to encourage folks to go boating and share their paddling experiences because. I think um, it was something you had said quite a long time ago that, that it's really disappointing that our whole journeys, whether it's a single day or a multi-day trip, gets condensed into between one and ten posts on uh, one and ten photos on Instagram, um, with you know a long par you know a, a short paragraph or a long sentence as a caption, yeah. and that that's actually really disappointing because there's so many people doing so many cool things, and cool doesn't need to mean extreme in this context, does it? You know, it could be just going out into your, into your local body of water and having a really wicked day. Um, and it's just being condensed, doesn't it, into, into this small, narrow social media window that, that everything's been created into. So it's that idea of we want to share those things and you know, give the opportunity to, for people to tell their story and try and inspire others. Um, but uh, yeah, and, oh, I, and I feel inspired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give people those opportunities to to truly share what happened and not just share it in ten photos and sentence. Yeah, it's also that th I, at the risk of using a word that I think comes across as a bit a bit soft and a bit uh, a bit a bit happy clappy sometimes. We do want to build a bit of a community around kind of paddling. And it's not just you can only post your photos if you've done the gnarliest thing or if you've done something that's really epic or really cool, like you were saying. Um, but also people's reaction isn't just to go, oh, that's nice. And just double tap that picture and scroll on to the next thing. That's cool. That's my interaction with that. Like, some of those best days out, you kind of you want to you want to ring someone and tell them about it. Or you want to just I've got back from days of paddling and like we should just all go to the pub and just chat about that because that was wicked and you're like i don't just want to put this online and go well that's that done that's that finished with you by all means put stuff online we all love putting stuff online there's no one that's more of a social media whore than you um <laughs> and so like it's totally it's totally okay to do it and you know distill the trip down but we should also like we should talk about them and, and I think that's been the coolest thing is hearing about these. We've spoken to people that I've known for years and they tell you about these trips. You're like, how, how have I never heard that story? That's, that's wicked. And yet somehow, unless I scroll back through the eons of time on your Facebook, I'm never going to find out about that. And it's, it's a proper shame. I just don't think there's, there's not really story sharing and that. I think you build that sense of kind of stoke to go paddling and that sense of excitement to go and explore these places by hearing about them. Yeah, totally. It's that thing, I guess, like, we experience it every now and again, don't we? Because when you go on a trip with someone, the conversation naturally flows around the conversations. Like, you know, when we went to the Palaresa, we would sit at lunchtime or we would sit in the evening having a chat with Stu and Dougie and you'd hear some awesome stories. Um, yeah. And it's that sort of thing that would 
that does happen when you go in an expedition with someone as well, doesn't it? And you sit around the fire in the evening and you have a chat about this and that, and you know, these stories come out. But I guess because we live in such a fast paced world, that doesn't happen as much anymore. Like, you know, and pubs are so expensive. And also, when you go to the pub, like, there isn't, you know, there's very, or certainly around, around us, there's very few paddlers' pubs or paddlers' bars or anything like that where, like, the, the community, the paddle sports community comes together and, and yeah. sits, you know, you go to events and festivals and all these stories come out of the woodwork, don't they? And all that sort of stuff. But that just doesn't happen on a day to day thing in the UK. You know, it might happen elsewhere in the world, which is, which is awesome. But it certainly doesn't tend to happen, you know, in, in the same way here. So it's, yeah, it's creating that place for those things to, to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where we've gone with Panamore. And that, that brings us to now and what we're doing with it now. So we obviously we've got our podcast, um, which we want to carry on doing and keep bringing on interesting people to talk to, to share their thoughts and feelings about paddle sports and tell us cool stories. Um, and if they've got something to plug, then they can obviously come on and plug their, you know, their, their thing, whatever it is, their business or their book or their film or what, you know, what, whatever it is that they're, they're trying to sell. But, but, you know, you don't have to have something to sell to come on our podcast. You can just come on and have a chat with us. Um, and then we've got our YouTube channel, which is, um, at the moment, it's all sort of skill introduction type stuff, isn't it? Um, and we want to develop that think of of skill set of skill films. Um, but I think as lockdown ease, I think we'll probably start moving into some films just for the sake of having films, you know, to try and you know inspire folks to 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 go boating and you know share share our experiences and maybe folks might want to share their experiences through our our channel as well, which would be which would be really cool. We've still got our website with the stories that, that go on there. There's we've not done a huge amount of that recently. We've just been so busy with the guidebook that we haven't no one's paddling. And uh, yeah, no one's paddling either. Um where folks can share their stories of what they're doing in, in the sport as well. Um and then obviously yeah we've got our guidebook and we're we have a plan for a second, um, not second edition, because that would imply that we're going to change the one that we've got, but a second, second guidebook of a different second area. Second edition would just be correcting all the mistakes. Yeah, a second guidebook with the same sort of ethos behind it of you know, multi-sport um, and geogra geographically based rather than, um, you know, rather than for specific discipline. So yeah, that's what, that's what we're doing with Paddlemore. But it's a fairly open-ended thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's already it's already grown a lot more arms and legs than I think we ever really anticipated it would. Um, it's it's just a really nice way of hearing a load of people's stories and, and seeing a load of different things that are happening kind of all around the world, all around different crafts, all on different types of water. Um, and hopefully, I think everything's going to pick back up a bit more once everyone's back out on the water and everyone's actually paddling. Because that's causing us a huge delay at the moment, isn't it? We've been trying to get stories from people that haven't been on the water for six months is pretty challenging. Yeah, it is a little bit. But I think we'll get that start going out. That'll be that'll be really cool. And I think there's lots of new folks starting to paddle as well. There, you know, that have folks that have yeah. changed their mind around maybe want to spend leisure time because of the way that the world's been turned upside down so hopefully we get lots of new folks coming into the sport as well and we can you know hear from them as well because it's not we don't just want to hear from the biggest and the best which yeah. is why we run the, pod, why we yeah. run the podcast because we are not the biggest and the best <laughs> So on the subject of not really going anywhere, not really not really paddling much at all, and not really paddling outside your area, um, quite conveniently, it's just been it's just been Pancake Day or Tossers Tuesday, depending on what you want to name it. Um, and it kind of reminded us of a trip we did five years ago, right on our, right on our doorstep, and we still worked in Loch Goilhead. Um, it was. Grant doesn't look very happy with my labelling of it Tossers Tuesday. Yeah, we we just spent the winter living at the Goyle, um, and we were all pretty unhealthy. So we thought, how can we compound this 
we can go and eat pies and pancakes and drink a load of beer in a bothy. We'd also just got new boats as well, mate. That was the main reason. Okay, your reason was different yeah. from mine. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we just we both just got our two fifteens. Oh yeah, because we outfitted them just to go on that trip. So yeah, yeah, we had we had new boats and we wanted to go on an adventure. So um, we didn't we didn't have much money, having spent you and Ellie had spent winter unemployed. Uh, I had was I working part time. Yeah, you were on a I was working, part-time. Yeah, I don't think I was working full-time. So we were pretty skint. We, we knew we wanted to do something. Um, but we knew we had to put cost down, so we, we decided to do a local trip. So, um, I would wager know. my van was probably broken down as well. I'm just working off the odds because I had the veto. There's a good chance I couldn't get out the Glen. Um, yeah, so we, we, we chose to stay local. So for those that know the area... Um, and, you know, if you want to look up on the map, we were in Mockailhead, which is in there. Look up on a map. We've literally just written a book with this trip in it. Buy the oh, book. Yeah. Buy the book. Yeah, what a great idea. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's in Cowell, so that's the western side of Loch Lomond Joseph's National Park. Um, we all worked in Mockailhead, and we headed up down Loch Goyle into Loch Long, um, which, because we're fairly disorganised, I have a funny feeling that we left quite late. Yeah, we we got up in the morning at about 11 o'clock, um, had something beige for breakfast, and then we faffed around for a good four or five hours trying to work out why we were leaving the house and where all our kit was so we could leave the house. Um, then we went to Rod's and bought some pies and some potatoes and some, I don't know, anything that looked like it wasn't going to be very healthy. And we took that, I think, some pakora, loaded that into the boats and finally got in the water, I think, about three o'clock in the afternoon, by which point it's getting pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly, it's, yeah, it's getting dark at five o'clock at the moment, isn't it? So it must have been, we must have only a couple of hours of, of daylight to paddle the, I don't know. 12k. It's got to be around that. Yeah, down down Loch Long, Loch Royal, <coughs> into Loch Long, and round to to Mark Bothy, which is a um, Mount Bothy Association Bothy on the our Darton Peninsula. Yeah. Um, on the way down, it was fairly fairly chilled. We we used to spend most of our working days on Loch Royal, and um, that was where we where we worked. Um, so it was, it was pretty early. short. There was an entire pod of seals. Is pod the collective noun for seals? I don't think so. I think they're a pack. You might be right. This is a Google job. I just use the word flock for everything because that was that was the old word for it. So yeah, um, I'm just good. Yeah, whilst you Google it, yeah, there was a, the whole collective of seals, which. Um, a flock they, of seals is a uh, band. Oh no, it's a flock of seagulls. Yeah. A herd of seals. A harem. A harem is the word. Harem. That's, harem that's, of seals. Sorry, everyone, carry on. And um, yeah, they followed us, didn't they, for a good couple of kilometres to the stage that they were getting pretty close to the boats. They were getting pretty comfortable in and around us, and which was not helped by the the, the light slowly disappearing. <laughs> yeah, they sort of would pop up above the water, the waterline, and uh, you'd barely be able to see them. Um, it was great exciting. Um, I think Ellie really didn't like that, did she? She was particularly unnerved by them from, from memory. Yes, I think she seemed to have more of them surrounding her than we did. Yeah. So I think she had a good reason to be more worried about them, to be honest. Um, then we nipped in to see Ellie's parents at Carrick Castle and left with boatloads of alcohol. And then we nipped around. I don't remember that. Yeah, we were well, not boatloads. We left with, I'll do some, some justice. We didn't just go around to the bothy to get smashed. We actually just turned around with, I think we had like a couple of beers each or something that, that Rod had. Um, and then went round the corner, round to the bothy, and 
stopped, which was lovely. Um, we were in there. We were met by a proper old boy with an enormous oh, dog, yeah. <laughs> which Grun's clearly forgotten about. Um, I totally who forgot about that. Turned around to us and went, I'll just get my dog out of your hair and we'll just go and stay in the bedroom bit. I hope you don't mind sharing the two sofas. And we're like, well, we don't have a lot of choice now, do we? <laughs> so, no, we don't. Also, they're next to the fire, so that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then we made pancakes. Disappeared. He disappeared for the whole yeah, night. Yeah, we never he? saw him that, again. That was like half past five, wasn't it? That it was a big dog as well, wasn't it? It was like a, it was a big dog. St. Bernard's type effort, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Like, part beta. Um, I've totally forgotten all about that. Yeah, we had pancakes on the fire. We roasted some potatoes for about 50 million hours, because that's the way that making potatoes on the open fire always goes. Um, had some beers and then a pretty chilled out night. Um, which very much, yeah, we forgot any candles or anything like that. And I, for, for those that haven't been to Mark's Both, or kind of a lot of these kind of smaller old cottages, the fire's, the fire's great. Without it, it would be really cold, but it doesn't exactly give off masses of heat. So I think when we woke up the next morning, we were all pretty cold. Um, I was in my renowned ancient sleeping bag, which I've, I've I finally got rid of that last year. The sleeping bag since that I've had since two thousand and six. I had it for thirteen years. I, I, I realised I had to get rid of it when it was older than some of the groups that I took on Bronze Duke of Edinburgh expeditions. And then that whole entire time had never been washed. Uh, it was washed in 2019. I just, yes, and you got it when? Just, just so people can do the math. 2006. There's a good chance that my mother washed it at some point in the first couple of years. It's just a large chunk of middle ground that it won't have been washed for. Yeah. It was patchy. The down was all clumped together or gone through the holes. And uh, you know that way when you've got when you've had a bit of kit for so long, you don't think about how crap it is and how knackered it is. And then you get a new bit of kit and you go, oh yeah, that bit of kit I just got rid of was dreadful. Yeah, it's amazing how you just get used to poor performance with kit, isn't it? Yeah, so you were a bit old. I think I was alright. I think I'd taken my winter bag, so life was pretty good. Funny feeling that Ellie would have been unprepared as per usual and therefore not taking anything decent sleeping but probably had about eight million jackets to put on when she got up so she'll have been fine normally no well, um so yeah got up in the morning break uh, nice breakfast bacon and stuff on the fire um probably more pancakes because i think we took your man and his dog were still in the bedroom i guess not like that yeah i think he was wasn't he i think he we, we genuinely didn't see him again yeah. No. Um, yeah, and then we got, then we got to Lock Long. Yeah, and we spent a good chunk of that day sailing, I seem to remember. That's where our yeah, we sailing we had a great day. tailwind, ramped up, ramped up an A-frame in the middle of the lock because why not? Ramped up an A-frame, sailed along successfully. I think we were all, but. We were all pretty knackered by this one because this was the first bit of exercise we'd done in about four months, other than get off the sofa to cook a lasagna. So I genuinely think an overnight trip had actually left us feeling pretty pretty cooked and pretty ready to get back. I think we sailed sailed two thirds of lock long, didn't we? And just yeah. as we were like, oh, this is good. We're kind of, we're nearly there. It's properly cold. It's starting to come in with some rain. We're ready to get back. This wind will take us to the end in probably about 20 minutes. That would be ideal. It swung and it hit us kind of head on and nearly put all three boats in the drink. Yeah, which would have been dreadful given how cold the water is at that time of year around there. Uh, uh, and probably how unprepared we were for it. I've got a funny feeling that by that point I was just in a gilet and a t shirt, which would have been, would have been absolutely horrible. And then we arrived in Arthur at the head of Loch Long and had a dreadful walk across the slushy, muddy rankness, which is the beach. Um, and yeah, low tide at Arica is 
an experience. Yeah. Um, it was pretty cool, wasn't it? Uh, and then it was just a short 20-minute drive back. Um, <clears throat> 20-minute drive back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it cool. was wicked. It just sort of shows you how easy it can be to have a really good time without having to go far and without having to do something really big and gnarly. You know, the most challenging bit of that whole trip was probably carrying the boats up the embankment in the bothy to make sure the tide yeah. didn't steal them. You know, it really wasn't it wasn't hard. It could have been challenging if the wind was against us the whole way and stuff, but but you know it's not it's not the locks aren't those locks aren't locks that generate a huge amount of effect generally and no. get really scary really quickly or anything like that. So yeah it just shows you that you can actually achieve some really cool stuff without going into those really extreme environments, which I think is I think for me it was one of those things that I'd been at the Goyle for that was going into my fourth year and I'd just never paddled it I'd never bothered to go around the corner you, know, you you spend so much time on this bit of water that you think well I don't want to go on that my own time so actually just taking the making the effort for all of us just to actually paddle around the corner and do that was just a, one of the coolest trips I did there and just doing that so close to home and leaving home you know, leaving your front door with your boat and then just paddling off and we could realistically have done it as a as an out and back so we could have left and come back to our front door and that yeah. would have been that would have been awesome yeah it would have been really cool and yeah as you say it's a it's a written and guide book now yes oh uh, so it's part of part of several routes in the guidebook yeah yeah it's not in there's an overnight image on right is it no um, but, yeah, beautiful place, really nice. Yeah, the whole of that sort of Carol, you know, Carol is totally underrated um, as a planning yeah. venue, I think. The whole of the National Park is fairly underrated, but Carol is infinitely better than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, I think a lot of people bypass that whole peninsula, don't they, and head over to the, the coast. Yeah, you yeah. got Oban, you, or you head up towards kind of um towards kind of Fort William where if you want rivers or you head over to the coast quite quickly if you want that. And I, I think you're right, I think it gets totally bypassed. Yeah. Yeah, but folks it just drive through No, it, it's really good. You know, there's quite a few folks go walking in that area, I guess, because you've got like the cobbler and Ben Narnane and things like that, you know, but but people paddling wise just totally ignore it. There's just some good rivers in there as well, isn't there? There's the King West and there's some of the ditches which are actually so last time we did an episode with just the two of us uh, we opened the question segment that's going to be at the end of all of our podcasts now and it's it's going really well we're finding out some really cool things about our guests um so it only makes sense that this week it's Grant's turn to answer some questions, um, which I guess means I should probably ask them. Otherwise, it's going to be a very odd segment. So, Grant, just to start with, <laughs> what inspired you to start paddling in the first place? So, I guess um, I was really lucky. I grew up in you know a fairly rural part of the country, um, where a lot of people thought a lot of people think Scotland's all really quite rural, but really not um but where i was definitely was quite rural so i got to spend a lot of time outside as a kid which was pretty cool um and, and as part of that i was i was in scouts so i had been paddling quite a bit you know i'd done the odd bit here and there and you know done some canoeing done some kayaking sort of your normal sort of run of the run the mill taster session type stuff um but when i guess when i say that i really started paddling um it was because I used to swim, so I used to swim quite a lot. Um, and there was. I've been paddling with you. You still do. Yeah, I used to swim in a swimming pool quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, the, the, the local paddle sports club, the local canoe club, where they used to run, they used to do pool sessions um, directly after our swimming session before it I can never remember now but yeah they you know it was either before or after our swim sessions they they did they did some some paddling um and I started doing that um 
I guess I did it because it was just something different. You know, so that that's what you know, and I then sort of just fell into it. Um, and I guess because I started it as a kid, there was no real big you have to start paddling. There was no big real inspiring moment. It was just something something to do. I guess you know what inspired me to stay in paddling came a little bit later on, and um, when you're so you know you reach that stage where you've got all these you know as a as a as a team you've got all these pools on your time of going party and going to study for exams or whatever and um, and i i just really enjoyed going boating and and where it could take me uh, and the fact that it was just it was just different um so that's what inspired me to stay in it left more than you know rather than inspiring me to start because inspiring me to start was just it was just something to do but staying in it it was that it was that freedom that came with it of it was just me and my boat and I could go wherever I wanted. Sweet. So you're a man who loves, loves a bit of kit. Oh, yeah. I think second, second to your social media um, passion, I think kit might be, might be the one for you. Um, of all those many, many bits of kit that you've got cluttering up your house that Ellie really enjoys you owning, what is your favourite bit of kit you've ever owned? And well, well, yeah, favourite bit of kit that you've ever owned yeah. for paddling, not just generally. It's, it's really difficult, actually. Um, Can't so, be a low alpine hat. It's, it's not. <laughs> that is a good bit of kit, but it's not that. Um, it, it's really, it is really difficult to define one bit of kit, I think. Um, and obviously knowing that I was going to be asked this question, I've been thinking about it a bit. Um, Paddles are always something that I think, um, you know, you and I have spoken about this before, that paddles are one of those things that, like, it doesn't matter whose boat you paddle, but paddling with someone else's paddles, it's just weird. Um, it's really, really weird. And I think, actually, my favourite bit of kit is a bit of kit I no longer have. It was my Werner Sidekick paddles that, that, that Moose lost when I swam out my boat. Um, and they disappeared off down the river. It was my fault I swam, but Mrs. Chase boating skills were. Uh, well, actually, you got the boat back, so well done, and the and the van key. And I was I was busy not caring <laughs> about your paddles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I genuinely think they were my favourite bit of kit. They those paddles I bought quite early on in my paddle paddling career, after breaking a very similar set uh, on another occasion where I nearly drowned. Drowned actually. Um, yeah, that's why I seem to lose kayak paddles and I nearly die and then need to get seasick. <laughs> but there was wearing our sidekicks, uh, they were carbon cranks and they'd taken me some really cool places. They'd been loads of different places with me and they just, they genuinely felt like an extension of my arms, which the new set, the set that I replaced them with, I love, but they're not as good as those. They just, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't have the same sentimental value or feel as good so yeah those those were our psychic paddles specifically those ones not wearing our psychic paddles not just any general. set but those yeah yeah so that one set that i that disappeared off down the off in massive massive blows and disappeared forever um, which led us to meeting tom Selleck and having a weird dinner um those ones that, that feels a bit okay no i was thinking it was going to be a waterproof spot on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you're a man that's had way too many embarrassing moments I've been yeah. there for quite a lot of them most of them have been paddling related I'd argue yeah. that I've maybe caused a few of them, I've certainly been blamed for a few of them um, what's your most embarrassing moment on the river? Um, Not that one. <laughs> there are, you're right, there are many there, there are probably too many to count um, and in the spirit of keeping things to misapproved, um, which is very important to this podcast, um, and because my parents listen as well. Um, the most embar embarrassing moment, actually, I think, was was uh, on the Palaresa, and I think we spoke about this on, on our episode where we spoke about the Palaresa. Um, we were there doing an advanced leader thing, training thing, um, and um, I, I swam out of my boat which you know I don't hint 
to get embarrassed when I fall out my boat, I kind of genuinely think that it's, you know, not entirely if you're not getting wetter, you're not getting better. But certainly swimming doesn't embarrass me as it does for many folks. I like it's just part and parcel of, of go boating. But that swim in particular was fairly embarrassing because that swim was caused by me just sitting staring at the sky thinking, oh, this place is absolutely amazing. What an awesome place to go boating. And then finding myself sideways in a hole. Um, and I don't think I was holding a paddle with two hands. And I just I, I just fell out my boat. But there's, there's no other, like, yeah, I was upside down, I fell out my boat. And it was like the first day of the official advanced leader course um, where, you know, we had spent the day before just as a warm-up day talking to some college students who seemed to think that, like, they knew loads more than us because they'd been there before and then I go and fall out my boat. On... Then you've got to prove that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got to prove that point. So, yeah, I think that's, that's up there um, with many, many embarrassing stories, but I do actually think, certainly most recently, that's my... Is there anything about paddling that you either don't like or would change or your least favourite thing about paddling in that sense? Um, yeah, there is. There, there's, there's actually quite a lot of things um, that, that really frustrate me about paddling. Um, well, this is not a place for you to air all your grievances. We all want. No, I'm not, I'm, not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to go into all of them. You know, the, 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 the big picture stuff, uh, you know, there, there's lots of things that annoy me about people's attitudes to paddling in terms of you know, mentioned there about you know some people get really wound up about having swims and other people think you really judge people about swims and that 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 really really annoys me but it's not the most annoying thing um you know to come back on what you said in your answer to this question you know five episodes ago about the the you know you spoke about the thing that frustrates you being the when you go into a downer and get annoyed and you know your performance drops that the thing that really annoys me about our sport is the the lack of empathy that we give to psychological issues on on the war and um, it really annoys me and i know that there will be times that i'm guilty of this as well of paddling with people and not caring about their their you know their psychological or mental state when they're on the water and you know you know i solely focus on myself and all the rest of it but it really really bugs me that we're really poor as coaches i'm using a really general brush to wipe everyone with here i'm just as a community of just not helping people uh with their psychological element in the sport and um, it really 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 annoys me that that people get to a stage where they can't progress and they can't get better or they won't get better. I don't think that they're better because they've got this little demon in their head that scares them. And, and that really annoys me that we don't help those people. Yeah. And even on even on the day-to-day -day basis, you know, you can go paddling one day and nail something, paddle the next day and you don't fancy it. Um, whether that, you know, whatever craft that's in. And, yeah, it, it's sometimes hard to face up to that decision and walk away from something. Um, but yeah. I think that's made harder by sometimes who you're paddling with. It totally is. And I think I think it's really, really unfair when people put pressure on people. You know, I think you and I paddle a lot. And, you know, I think we're both in a stage now where if one of us says, I'm not doing that, it's cool. There, there's no pressure. There's no judgment. You know, yeah, there might be a bit of piss taking because we... That's what you think. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's no yeah. Taken, but that, that's that's our our relationship that's you know that's at the end of the day it doesn't it doesn't actually affect either of us whether someone chooses to do something different but there's so many times that i've seen in this in my time paddling where either i'm judged because i've chosen to walk around something on that set day something that might have done a hundred times before but i've chosen to walk around it or you know and um, someone else is judged based off of up with their choices it's just it's just it's just shit it is it's just shit that we can't just all accept that we're all out to have a nice day and that that's what that person have a nice day so just let them have a nice day you can have your nice day by doing what you want <laughs> if you want to have it and they don't that means everyone has a nice day let's move on yeah um, yeah nice so finally then um your bucket list trip 
where would you go? What would you do? And who would you go with? Because as yeah. a paddler, we have to ask you what you do. It can't just be a can't be as simple as where would you go? Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to answer this because there are so many cool places that I want to go. Um, and yeah, and it's really difficult to answer. But there's a, there has been a trip that has been sort of in the back of my mind ever since I've seen um, a short fish film about it. So there was a DVD come out a number of years ago. This is Canoeing, starring the famous Ray Goodwin. Um, and it's not the trip that Ray does in that, 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 in that film, because he just goes on Barrow Lake, and that's well boring. Um, but as part of, as part of that, um, that film... I've never uh, known Ray to paddle Barrow Lake. No, it, it's, um, well, it's not Barrow Lake, is it? It's... Um, Whatever he, he, did, he always calls it by swear. That's the one. How thanks for I'm glad that you tried to picture that as opposed to me. I was right. I should that. just cough something up. Yeah, <laughs> um, but as part of that, this is Canoon film. They did um, uh, one of the short films was about the Mountain River, which is in um, the Northwest Territories in Canada, um, and it just looks awesome. It's um, fourteen the mini day trip, I think it is. Um, they follow the, the guys from Black Feather Guiding out there and they go out and they do um, you know, one of these trips where you're flown in, you're dropped off um, and you're dropped off at the, at the source and then you paddle all the way down the Mount River um, and it eventually joins the Mackenzie River um, you know, two weeks after um, where you just start on these tiny, tiny little creeks that kind of your boat barely floats on um, and eventually becomes your big, bigger water. Um, and, you know, from researching it, it doesn't look like a super hard you know, technical water. It's just big and bouncy stuff, you know, grade two, grade three. Um, but it just looks like a totally stunning place to go to start, you know, to truly paddle from source to, they don't like you to see, but you know, source to the next major tributary. It just looks, it looks awesome. Um, and just in a really cool place up in the Northwest Territories of Canada. Yeah. Um, that's, so I think that's, you know, that if I was to say that was my bucket list, you know, if I had to pick one trip, I think it, that's what it would be, because it just looked awesome, um, so that's why. Um, who I'd go with, I don't really know. There's so many people that I would want to go paddling. Um, you know, I think I think I would just put a little team together of good mates and like to go and do it with the folks that I enjoy paddling with, you know, you, Ellie, there's another, maybe three or four people on that list, um, that it would just be cool to have a nice, cool team of people to just go and have a, have a wicked adventure with. I don't think there's one individual that I would choose to go with. I can think of, it'd be cool to paddle with some folks that um, was, you know, was like Bill Mason would be really cool to, to go paddling with, because that man knew about canoes was phenomenal, but he's obviously long time dead now so uh, yeah. that doesn't matter for this question yeah so yeah maybe maybe someone like bill mason would be quite cool to, to take on a trip like that where, where you're traveling through you know what is sort of his territory being in the northern northern parts of canada and his you know the craft that he's he sort of dedicated his life to would be would be pretty cool but yeah i think i think realistically just having a good group of mates along on a trip like that would be be my, be my choice that leads in really well to next week's episode so uh next week's episode is already recorded and ready to go uh it's a really exciting one we chatted to a man who has pulled up that river the mackenzie in mm. canada um and that was part of a four thousand mile journey he pulled up it um, and traveled all the way across um, arctic canada in uh, three to four months i can't remember now but so make sure you kind of do make sure you come back for next week's episode as well. because that's a, a beautiful accidental link into uh, where we took the podcast next. But it does look like a really cool place out there. And I think just the, what you're going to see in the wildlife and the, the water and the, the kind of wilderness is just second to none, isn't it? Totally. I think that's, I think that's a big appeal to me. I think it's that thing of... Um, yeah, that trip appeals to me so much because it's not just about the, the canoeing, it's about the journey. And I think that's what 
what what's really quite special about it. Um, you're doing, um, you know, not knocking what what Adam's doing on his big multi, you know, multi-month, four thousand kilometer journeys. I think those things are really cool as well. But um, I think for bucket list trip, I'm going to chat with you. I don't think you want your bucket list trip. trip to be that that arduous, do you? No, totally not. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I think I think that part of the world is is one of the last true wildernesses and I think it would be really cool to journey through it in the For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to another of another of our podcasts and listening into to our chat about how we started Padamore and kind of what we're hoping to build it into and all that um as we said at the start we're going to be doing one of these every five episodes so if you do have any questions or any kind of topics you really want us to explore um ping us a message leave us a comment um and we will we will do our best to to unpack that in the next one of these um, and don't forget to listen in next week when we do talk to, to adam schultz about his epic i think that's that's a trip that can be described as epic it's an epic trip across canada if you've not already found us on social media we're at team paddlemore um, we've got a Patreon account which goes to support in this podcast. Um, and we've got a book out um, which we've mentioned a couple of times in this. Um, we've eventually got around to getting it out 12th of March. Um, so it's available now to pre order from pestopress.com. Um, if you can't remember that, just go to our website. There's a link straight into their, their shop um, and it'll be on bookshelves the 12th of March, don't buy it on Amazon because they steal all the money and it makes us really sad. Um, yeah, if you can and then uh, leave us a review on whatever po uh, podcast service that you're using, if you could leave us a review, that would be wicked. It helps other people see the podcast as well. Yeah. We'll see you next week. No, we well, won't. Thanks for we'll, listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.